0: Hey everyone, it's Mark in Chicago thawing out from our winter break with a new episode of Media Riot. On this episode, we'll take a look at two, yes, two RoboCop remakes. In music, we listen to the Lawrence Arms first new album in eight years, Metropole. And in theater, American Idiot goes back out on tour. Revolution. We need to give Americans a figure they can rally behind. Give you mommy a kiss. Hi, baby. Too slow, boy. We're gonna put a man inside a machine. He suffered fourth-degree burns over 80% of his body. If. He survives. He'll be paralyzed from the waist down, confined to a wheelchair. You say you can save him, but what does that mean? What kind of life will he have? What kind of suit is this? It's not a suit. It's you. What the hell did you do to me? The future of law enforcement is back. Again. RoboCop, a remake of the 1987 version, is out once again to make the streets of Detroit safe. Joe Kinnaman is, the, is in the title role of Alex Murphy slash RoboCop. Gary Oldman as Dr. Denton Norton, a doctor who specializes in robotic prosthetics for patients who have lost their limbs. Michael Keaton as Raymond Sellers, the, the CEO of Omnicore. And Samuel L. Jackson as the news commentator, Pat Novak. In the original RoboCop, they had news anchors appear every so often to give news briefs, Novak has a Bill O'Reilly-style show for the news breaks. The rest of the cast is rounded out with Abby Cornish as Miss Murphy, Jay Baruchel as OCP's head marketing guy, Jennifer Elhi as OCP's head legal, and Jackie Earl Haley, in a great performance, as OCP's head of military division. This this remake has rounded up uh, itself a nice little cast here. And how did it turn out? Well, the best way to to describe RoboCop the remake is part man, part machine, and all boring. (laughs) So boring. Jeez, it was a little less than two hours, but it felt like five. Snails fuck faster than people make decisions in this movie. And at the heart of it (laughs) is the limited range of Joel Kinnaman. Now, we'll get back to him. Now, I think when you have a cast like this, everyone wants two or three really good scenes to make it worth their while. Haley did the most with what he had, same with Jackson. And it was nice to see Michael Keaton in a big Hollywood movie again. There's a renaissance in this guy's future. Gary Oldman kind of plays a variation on his Commissioner Gordon from the Nolan Batman series. Except where his character had more layers in uh, Batman, he's just kind of blah in RoboCop. <sighs> yeah, it's always nice to see him, but I don't know if he was just there for the check or he got bad direction. A quick side note, it's nice to see Oldman swinging around in the second half of his acting career to be okay with playing good guys in Hollywood films. He couldn't play crazies or villains forever, and I think he tired of that, and he learned that good guys could be complex, you know, like Sirius or Gordon. And with Joel Kinnaman, we have not found a Peter Weller replacement. Peter Weller was just a better actor to start with. Even under the RoboCop visor, with just his voice and the angle of his mouth... Weller could show emotion. The thing is, with roles like RoboCop, you have to look natural in high-concept ideas. Kinnaman doesn't. He's a good-looking young guy who the producers probably hope to get at a low cost and run through a couple of films. For examples of this, look at the flops, John Carter, and Battleship. Oh, oh, and the villain who blows away Murphy? Nowhere near as memorable as Kurtwood Smith as Clarence Bodiker and his ruthless gang. I wouldn't even tell you the villain's name in this remake because he registers so low in this movie it's a waste to discuss him now before I put all of the blame of this snoozefest of this pseudo actioneer on Director Jose Padilla, I will read these two little uh, factoids from i m d b so Director Jose and actor Joel fought hard for an r rating, but due to the ever-expanding budget, what went from a modest sixty million budget and ballooned to a $120 million budget, studio executives were forced to deliver a PG-13 rating and hoping to recoup the budget they had spent on the film. Throughout the course of the filming, studio executives kept a close eye on Padilla, making sure he was going to deliver a PG-13 rating. And here's the other one. During production of the film, director Jose phoned friend and fellow Brazilian director Fernando M- Merlays, director of The Amazing City of God, go watch it now if you haven't seen it, To confide in him, uh, his frustration in the lack of creative control, he was allowed by the studio for the project. Padilla estimated that for every ten ideas he brought to the project, the studio refused nine. And he went on to describe that the making of this film was the worst experience of his life. When word of this conversation became public, in an effort to appease the studio, Padilla released counter-statements expressing satisfaction with the film. So, (laughs) it's... (sighs) Yeah, it's difficult to see what the audience would have ended up with with an R movie made by one director and not a committee of studio execs. Even though the budget balloon and the bean counter stepped in, I still think we would have ended up with the two-star movie instead of the one-star movie we have here. My biggest pet peeve beyond the zero personality of Joel Kinnaman is that the characters talk so friggin' much in this movie. Even if there was R-rated blood splattering, the characters spend so much time on how much human emotion do you need in law enforcing and human versus robot blah 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 there are endless back and forths that it's not until almost an hour into the film that robocop takes to the streets there's a good 20 minutes that could have been cut out of this film the one star for this remake comes for the effects it's been 27 years since the original so the robots look slicker and more realistic but really what cost 120 millions and what was what changes were made The story's a mess. I wasn't even sure why Robocop was hunting down Keaton's character at the end. I'm sure if Mr. Padilla will get another film, I'm sure Mr. Padilla will get another film, and if he can't redeem himself with that one, then we know whose fault it was for the Robocop remake. Now, the Robocop remake I'm excited to tell you about is one of the funniest films since Hot Shots or or The Naked Gun, and if that perks your interest, this movie is for you. Now, it's not in the theaters, it's online. And it's actually titled Our Robocop Remake. Our Robocop Remake is a crowdsourced remake spoof. Now this isn't a scene-for-scene remake, it's a comedic take on a beloved action movie. The production values are just around a college film level, which adds to the love that was put into this film. Here's the press release. Our Robocop Remake is a crowdsourced film project based on the 1987 Paul Verhoeven classic. Connected through various filmmaking channels, including Channel 101, we're 50 filmmakers, amateur and professional, from Los Angeles and New York who have split up the original RoboCop into individual pieces and have remade the movie ourselves. Not necessarily a shot-for-shot remake, but a scene-for-scene retelling. As big fans of the original RoboCop, and as filmmakers and film fans admittedly rolling our eyes at the Hollywood remake machine, we've elected to do (laughs) this remake thing our way. Because if anyone's going to ruin RoboCop, it's us. <laughs> what that means is every scene is shot by a different group of people, making the style all over the map. There are scenes shot with puppets, an 8-bit Nintendo style, other cheap computer graphics, but trust me, it all works. Imagine Saturday Night Live doing one full episode dedicated to remaking RoboCop, and you're getting the idea. I did literally laugh so hard it hurt. They're they're some of the most clever and funniest filmmaking I've seen in a long time. The jokes are hilarious. I think since the rise of Judd Apatow and his band of actors, who like to crack each other up, and then maybe the audience, if even at all, the Robocop remakers know anything can be spoofed, but you have to love your material and not look down upon it, like some Hollywood comedians have been doing as of late. I'm giving Our RoboCop Remake three stars. It's absolutely hilarious, but it does feel a little long to watch because it doesn't have that finishing polish of a high-budget film like The Naked Gun, Hot Shots, or Airplane. Check out Our RoboCop Remake at (laughs) OurRoboCopRemake.com Oh, secret, secret, I've got a secret. With parts made in Japan. Secret, secret, I've got a secret. I am the modern man. Back after an eight-year break is Chicago's very own The Lawrence Arms. The three-piece punk band returns with their album "Metropole. Let's take a listen to a track. We're back. The Lawrence Arms have been a fixture on the Chicago and national scene since the early 2000s. The members of the band Neil Hennessy, Brennan Kelly, and Chris uh, McConaughey have come from other famous earlier bands, Slapstick and the Broadways, prior to forming the Lawrence Arms. Now, like I said, it's been eight years since the release of the Lawrence Arms' last full album, and you know what? I didn't even notice it's been eight years. Now, being a Chicago-based critic, the Lawrence—the guys in Lawrence Arms are always performing in one of their side bands at a venue only a couple of L or bus stops away. Plus, yes, bars in Chicago do play the Lawrence Arms like they never went away. So this isn't some sort of triumphant comeback for the Lawrence Arms. It was just something the guys were able to work into their busy schedules. Hell, even Slapstick, Brennan Kelly's previous band, got back together for a set at the 2012 Riot Fest. Now, being a Chicagoan, a punk rock Chicagoan, There are bands that I'm supposed to be familiar with and I've seen like 20 times, like Pegboy, Naked Raygun, The Effigies, Screeching Weasel, 88 Fingers Louie, or Articles of Faith. The Lawrence Arms is part of that list, and you know what? I'm not a fan. On and off over the past decade, I've listened to their albums, and you know what? They don't do anything for me. And I know how near and dear people hold this band to their still teen angsty hearts, but they've never done anything for me. I could listen to maybe two songs tops before they just become white noise. Mind you, I'm not saying they suck like Chicago-based Fall Out Boy. They just don't tug at my teen, angsty heartstrings. <laughs> now, with Metropole, the guys in Lawrence arms are showing their age. A lot of the songs are about remembering the times when you were young and bumming around. Other songs are about aging. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. Those are the only two major themes of the album. Their fans might argue there's more, but you know what? I don't want to listen to more than two songs. Metropole is a little slower in tempo compared to their older albums, but you could put two Lawrence Arms songs side by side and I couldn't tell you which album they came from. The Lawrence Arms has a certain sound that they kind of repeat. The other issue I have with them is Brennan Kelly's raspy vocals. Now mind you, I find Brennan a funny and clever guy, he has an interesting blog, but his harsh rasp limits his range, but it's not as bad as the Bouncing Souls lead singer Greg and Antonieto. His vocals is as flat as a pancake. 20 years, people. How can you still be listening to them? I don't want to get off on a tangent here. We'll save my Bouncing Souls rant for another podcast. Now, what takes the Lawrence arms out of generic punk to something interesting is when they talk about Chicago. Now, it's not just because I'm based here. It gives their vanilla songs some flavor, like the songs A Guided Tour of Chicago or Here Comes a Neighborhood, where they talk about specific Chicago locations and streets. On the song Hickey Avenue from Metropole, Brendan sings... We talk a lot in crappy cars and restaurants and shitty bars. A lot of teens and 20s have done that, and other bands talk about that too, but for some reason it doesn't resonate resonate with me when the Lawrence Arms sings it. Oh well. <laughs> oh, and the title of the album, Metropole, is named for the Hotel Metropole, a hotel Brendan stayed in in Italy. And he recorded sounds of the town with his iPhone, and they're mixed in between the songs. Nice, but doesn't really add anything. Two stars for this Lawrence Arms uh, record. Will it win over new fans? Probably not. It'll keep the rabid fan base happy. That's about it. Now let's go listen to Pegboy. My favorite musical, American Idiot, is out on the road in a new touring production. A quick recap of the story. Set in the mid-2000s, Will, Johnny, and Tunny try to find themselves in the hell they call suburbia. Johnny and Tunny decide to run off to the big city while Will stays behind with his pregnant girlfriend. In the city, Johnny finds sex with the character, what's her name, drugs, and heroin, and, well, not that much rock and roll, while Tunny, looking for more in life, enlists in the army. In short, Will grows up and gets over his pity party and learns about responsibility. Johnny gets over his drug addiction, and Tony gets wounded in battle and loses his leg, but meets the perfect girl for him. Love, hugs, and rock and roll, yo. American Idiot is based on the album uh, of the same name by Green Day, with a couple of other songs from their album 21st Century Breakdown. I've said before I'm not a Green Day fan, but they're a mixture of theater and Billy Joe Armstrong's over everything, matched up perfectly for this show. This is a fresh fresh show with a new cast. Uh, to see when it's coming to a town near you, check out the website, AmericanIdiotTheMusical.com. I caught the performance in Detroit. This production is a little bit smaller in scope. Since the show was only stopping sometimes for only one night in one city, they need to be able to set up and break down the set quickly, which means that the beautiful dance sequence for Extraordinary Girl where Tunny and his dream girl are actually pulled into the air by harnesses and wires, is brought down back to the stage in a new, easier, on-the-ground dance sequence. And that's the only noticeable huge change in the production. A lovely dance sequence, but understandably cut. Outside of that, the rest of the show remains the same. The one thing I was not able to confirm was if this cast was equity or not. I'm leaning towards non-equity because the cast... Doesn't a 100% pop. Now mind you, you're not getting a high school production. The cast can sing and dance. Heather, Will's pregnant girlfriend, portrayed by uh, Mariah McFarlane, uses her character's few chances to sing to show some serious pipes. And What's Her Name ended up being performed by an understudy, but luckily for us, the understudy was the dance captain, Allison Maroney, and she hit all her dance steps with the precision of a drill instructor. The rest of the cast was capable and was still able to draw the audience into their character's angst. Should you see this version of American Idiot? Oh, totally. It's a three-star production. Any chance to check out one of the best musicals of the new millennium is worth it. Also, since this touring production is going to minor markets, I think it might draw in more people because, I don't know why, but hey, people love Green Day. And if you can't see Green Day in concert, here's a chance to hear some of your favorite songs. The crowd in Detroit went bananas during the final bows. I have to point this out still. The tickets are still overpriced, leaving many open seats. Now, I saw it during some bad weather, but it was still a Saturday night, and that should be a sellout night. I wonder how these shows break even. I'd I'd rather have a full audience at lower prices than less people at higher prices. A suggestion would be the day of the show four or so hours before a curtain to send out an email blast through uh, email listings with reduced ticket prices. Ten rabid fans are nice, but a hundred entertained fans is better. Check out American Idiot when it comes to a town near you. Hey, can you hear the sound of hysteria? this all on my book, America. Welcome to our new everyone thank you for downloading or streaming this episode of media Riot. and to that fucker who took my dip spot on the street yeah that's frozen pee on your door handles if you're Chicagoan, you'll understand that's a fair response to a taken dip spot and those of you not familiar with chicago winter dibs take my dip spot and you'll find out media Riot is an Illinois production and we'll see you next time bye now